Well, uh, we've read tonight in uh, God's Word, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, When Peter and when John healed a, a crippled man outside the temple, you remember in Acts, a large crowd gathered around them. And Peter proclaimed then Jesus as the author of life who'd been crucified and now was resurrected and glorified. And they were arrested, Peter and John, and they were put on trial and asked, you know, by what power was this crippled man healed? And the text says in Acts 4, 12, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, replied that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was unequivocal. He was emphatic. Jesus is the only name that can save. And Jesus' statement, Peter's statement, that all flows right through the New Testament. Paul is emphatic in his claim in 1 Timothy 2, 5. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus himself. And the writer of Hebrews warns us that there is no means of escape. There's no way that we can escape except through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And the Bible clearly says that the way to be saved is through one person. The way to come to God is through one person. Person, but I tell you what, this is not popular. Uh, just try getting up at the office tomorrow or in union declaring that this is Jesus is the only way, and it can bring quite a response. Peaceful people can get very angry. When you start talking like this, listen to this quote from Rabbi Shmuley Botich. This is what he says. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. But he said, I am absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you. And that's what leads to hatred. I think what the rabbi says is often today the cry of tolerance. 
We need a world that's tolerant of all faiths. And many people today think it's really arrogant and narrow-minded and bigoted of Christians to say that the only path to God must be through Jesus of Nazareth. And today it seems that tolerance is the pressing issue and the pressing call and this time of religious pluralism where there are many gods and many people take and pick from different religions. It seems that to say there's only one way is terribly politically incorrect and is largely seen as a slap in the face to other religions. Our friends at uni would perhaps call it religious chauvinism or at the very least arrogance. And our lecturers might call us naive. Others might say it demonstrates a smugness and superiority that can lead to hatred and violence. Just over a month ago, I was invited to a forum where a number of representatives of different faiths shared what their beliefs were. And what surprised me about the gathering was how much the different speakers were wanting to show that we're all very much the same. Um, When I was asked to share the Christian faith, It seemed that I was treading on very hostile ground when I explained that the Bible revealed that Jesus claimed to be God and that he was the only way to God and that his claims are either right or wrong. So is it arrogant? I mean, is it arrogant to say that there is only one way? Is it arrogant for Christians to hold on to this claim? Ravi Zacharias, when being interviewed in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, responded to that question by pointing out that Christianity is not the only religion that claims exclusivity. The other religions make claims too about their exclusivity, that are are exclusive claims. So so what what do they claim? This is what Ravi said in in the book. He said, Muslims radically claim exclusivity, not just theologically, but also linguistically. Muslims believe that the sole sufficient and consummate miracle of Islam is the Quran. They say, however, it's only recognisable in Arabic and any translation desecrates it. It's not just a basic understanding of Arabic that's required to read the Quran, but it's a sophisticated knowledge of the language. Ravi goes on to say, as for Buddhism, it was born when Gautama Buddha rejected two fundamental assertions of Hinduism. The ultimate authority of Vedas, which are their scriptures, and the caste system. Hinduism itself is absolutely uncompromising on two or three issues. The law of karma, which is the law of moral cause and effect, and that every birth is a rebirth that makes recompense for the previous life. And also the authority of Vedas and reincarnation. These are things that Hinduism 
absolutely uncompromisingly hold to. And this may surprise you because many people have heard Hindus say, oh, you know, uh, we just accept all religions. It appears a very tolerant faith, but tolerance for Hinduism uh, means that they allow you to practice your religion. Uh, no worries at all, as long as it buys into their notion of truth, which in effect is syncretism. It means that you, uh, where you hold, uh, syncretism is where you attempt to blend together two different or even opposing ideas. So you might you know, believe in one thing and another, even though they disagree with each other. Uh, Ravi Zacharias goes on and says, as for Sikhism, it also came as a challenge to both Hinduism and Buddhism. Then there are the atheists and they reject the viewpoint of those who believe in God. Now, I found it, uh, what uh, he's saying uh, true. Uh, when I was at this forum, one of the people, one of the groups represented was the Baha'i. And the Baha'i sort of say, we, we embrace all, uh, all, all faiths. They, they, they say that, they, they have a claim that they have a cosmic embrace of all religions, the Baha'i. But even that claim ends up to excluding the exclusivists, you know. So uh, when I was at this uh, forum, they claimed, you know, they didn't need trained pastors in their, um, in their faith. They just had everyone passing on all the teachings together and they didn't have a paid clergy or any, you know, organised people. And it felt to me that they were saying that was the right way of doing things as well. So I think when people talk of arrogance in the Christian faith by claiming exclusivity, if you're using it just on logic alone, it's hard to claim that when you look at all the other major faiths which have exclusivity claims, to just say that Christianity is arrogant, you would have to admit that all the other faiths are arrogant as well, if claiming something exclusive means you're arrogant. All truth, by definition, is exclusive. Let me explain uh, what I mean. The moment we agree that this is a music stand, if we say this is true that it's a music stand, then it means it's not a piano. Just because if that's true, anything else must be false about that object. Are you with me in that? So truth and claiming that something is true means that when you make that truth claim, something contrary to it is false. Truth excludes its opposite. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. What he was saying was that he's the only way to God. And other ways are not truth. They're not the way to God. And people will say, but that's, that's unfair. Well, to say that's untrue is a truth statement. 
in and of itself. And if you say that Jesus, by saying that, is exclusive, then to say that he's not allowed to say that is being exclusive too. Because truth is exclusive. The sad thing about this is that just because Jesus claim, makes this exclusive claim doesn't give Christians the uh, authority or permission to be smug and arrogant about it. Uh, to be smug and arrogant about a truth that Jesus is the only way to God. And God is a God of love. And God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And that because of his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven. And this is God's love. To then take the message of God's love and arrogantly, boldly claim it to other people is just missing the whole point. And one of the saddest things is that many Christians can act as though they are superior to other people because of this, or they are better than other people. And this should not be. It should not be. And yet when people say, well, just have a look at the arrogance of Christians in their claim, we have to be very careful when we hold that. Ravi Zacharias uh, kind of pointed to this, that when you say that Christians are you know, arrogant in their claim and act arrogantly and turn people off by their arrogance. Um, he said, well, we have to think about that balancing what other religions can do. He said, I know of no Christianized country where your life is in danger because you are from another faith. But today there are many countries in the world, such as Pakistan, Saudi Arabia and Iran, where to become a follower of Christ is to put your family and your own life at great risk. Christ makes exclusive claims. It doesn't mean we have to be arrogant about it. But as Christ says, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is an exclusiveness to it that we cannot deny and must never deny. So if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, what about Jesus makes his claims uh, believable in the light of other people claiming different truths? What makes Jesus unique? First, he's... Unique in his qualification. I mean, Peter proclaimed him as the holy and righteous one in Acts 3, 14. He, he said he's the author of life in verse 15 of Acts 3. He, he's the one the prophets foretold. So Jesus is the one that the, uh, the Old Testament has been pointing towards and Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. He's the, the Christ. Verse 20, he's the one whom the early church worshipped as God. Well, why does that make him unique? Well, the, this sets him apart from the leaders of other uh, faiths, the other world religions. Uh, Muslims, for example, do not like being described as 
uh, Muhammads or anything like that. Because they don't worship Muhammad. Muhammad was a, a prophet. No one in the Islamic world has ever dreamed of, uh, according to him, divine honours and saying, gee, we, we worship Muhammad. He would have been the first to reject that and to say, that's blasphemy to call me that. And, you know, it's not even clear whether Buddha actually even believed in the existence of God as such. You know, pure Buddhism early on, uh, there, there was no belief in God. So while other leaders have leaders that aren't God, Jesus is unique in that he makes these claims and people worshipped him as God. So Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus is unique in, in his achievement. He's not only unique in his qualification, but in his achievement. Because as, as Peter asserts, uh, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. We, we all need a saviour. And we all need a saviour because we've sinned. And we can't save ourselves from the results of sin. And so none of the, so what we need is a, is a saviour. We need someone to come and save us and rec- rescue us. And none of the other religions ever claim to have a saviour. You know, the, the Buddhist, uh, an English, the English Buddhist, Morris Walsh, pointed out that the Buddhist view of Buddha is very different from the Christian view of Christ. He stressed that the Buddha is thought of as a teacher, not as a saviour. In Islam, uh, followers will face, uh, will face judgment without forgiveness. In contrast, Jesus is the one who brings salvation. He's paid the penalty. He saves us from our guilt. He's been... He saves us from the addictive power of sin in our life and the hold that it can have on us. And he saves us from the judgment that's coming that we all deserve. The third thing is Jesus is unique because he's risen from the dead and he's alive today. And other religions... Their leaders uh, never claimed to rise again and to be alive past death. Uh, Peter described Jesus as the one whom God raised from the dead in Acts 4. And, and the resurrection is a unique event. When you look right through history, uh, this, this happened. Uh, Buddhism, a Buddha died. <laughs> and... Uh, Records show his, the entrance of the great Buddha going into nirvana or reaching this sort of state. But there's no suggestion that the Buddha will continue on um, to be present with his followers after his death. Uh, his teaching, will, they say, will guide his followers. But, but they, 
know the exact time of death of, of, uh, of him. They also know the exact time of death of Muhammad. And no one has ever supposed that he survived. And no one has ever thought that he's continued on after death. And by contrast, Jesus has risen from the dead. And his resurrection from the dead is essential to the Christian faith. And because he has risen, death has been conquered, and those who have faith in him will live forever. We can know him. We can't know Buddha. We cannot know Muhammad. Jesus is the unique son of God. He's the unique saviour. He's risen from the dead. So when we think about that, what does this mean? If, if Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life, and that is an exclusive claim, and that's true, then does that mean that everything else, every other religion has absolutely no truth at all and nothing to offer? Well, it actually means that there is no other way to God. But it doesn't mean there's not any elements of any truth in those religions at all. There's just no truth for salvation. So we don't have to look and we say, well, everything about them is absolutely horrible. You know, there's a lot of uh, things that are taught in different religions that are actually things that um, have some element of truth in them. But this doesn't mean that you can find your way to God through those religions. What are some of the things? Well, we, we, the Bible teaches that all people are made in the image of God, that God's the creator and he made us in his image. And therefore, that means that we would expect to find people around who, are, who have built within them some of the uh, awareness of moral values that are naturally placed in there. A desire to yearn and to know God would be in people. Even in other religions, there would be people that uh, are built with a desire to know something of God. The other thing is that many people from other religions would look around and still see the creation and would be able to uh, see that God is somehow revealed in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, Psalm 19 and verse 1 says. The pinnacle of creation is human life. And as we see our hands and our fingers and our eyes and we think about the way we're made, it makes us want to know more about God. And there may be people in other religions that see all of this and have a yearning as well. I think, too, there may be many other people who don't know Christ yet who have a yearning in their heart because God has placed in every single heart a desire for eternity, a desire to know God 
Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. And deep down, no one's satisfied with materialism. Deep down, no one's satisfied with, with uh, you know, just living a life without meaning and without knowing their creator. So there are elements of truth in other religions because the God who made us made them. And there is some things like loving one another is something that's taught in all many different religions. Do unto others as you do unto them is, is something that's common in many of them. And that shouldn't surprise us. Does that mean that following those can help you know God? No. Some people might say then, well, the thing that really upsets me is that there are moral Muslims, good living Muslims. There are good living Jews. There are great living Mormons and Hindus uh, who have actually lived very good lives. They're great people. And are you saying that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that if they die not knowing Jesus, they'll go to hell when some Christians I know believe in Jesus but live horrible lives. Well, maybe not horrible lives, but they, they seem to know Jesus but still have done some horrible things in the past and still stumble regularly. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So there are some people that say, I, I don't know anything about Jesus, but I'm living a very, God, a very good life. I'm nice to people and I don't swear and I try to help out in the community. And, and when you look at their lives, they're exemplary. And would Jesus say to them, I'm sorry. There's a few assumptions when we look at that. One of the big assumptions that we make is that the meaning of life is actually being morally good. That's a wrong assumption to make. Uh, life is not all about being good people. That's not what saves you, being good people. And yet many people, when you look and you think, all, this is what all religions are about, aren't they? Being good and being morally good and a nice person so that somehow you get to know God and live forever. The Christian faith has got absolutely nothing to do with that. I mean, obviously, we want to live good lives and we want to be good. But that's not how we get saved. The reason we want to live good moral lives is because we have been saved. What life is all about is not uh, making bad people good. It's about making dead people Alive. People that have died in their sin, who are separated from God, coming alive through faith in Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with the one who is the truth, knowing Jesus, 
loving him, having a relationship with him. And that's what helps us, uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives as we, as we live through faith in Christ, following God. The Holy Spirit strengthens us and empowers us to live a godly, moral life, helps us to overcome sin. We're filled with such thankfulness for what God has done for us in sending his son on the cross that we want to live to please this God that we know, that we love, that we have a relationship with. So Christianity is not about being more moral than other people. And so you might say, so are you saying that someone who has committed murder and in prison on their knees repents and follows Christ can be forgiven and have eternal life? Or someone who has never, you know, uh, has just lived a, a, a really good life but never responded by faith in Christ will go to hell? Well, the thing is, the other thing you need to know is that God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. The whole Bible is saying that our God is so loving that he sent his son and that he wants everyone to know. And that he, has, he, he wants you to respond to him and he wants you to know. And the difference between someone who has sinned and murdered and the difference between someone who has murdered and actually eaten the people they've murdered and the difference between someone who has never murdered but beaten up people regularly and hurt them a lot or people that have never beaten up people but told lies and people that have never but, but have stolen something on the side, it, it, they've all sinned and every single one is dead in their relationship to God and needs a saviour. And this one might have a little bit more sin here. But God's holiness is right up there. And through faith in Christ, all of this is wiped clean. Does that mean the, the murderer gets off scot-free? Well, if they feel like, ooh, I got off that scot-free, I doubt they really came to Christ. Because if they did respond to Christ through faith, they would be mourning over that sin and they would be so thankful that God forgave them of that sin though they didn't deserve it. And the very last thing they would be doing was thinking, oh, I got off the hook. They'd be saying, I deserve death, yet Jesus saved me. Whereas someone over here who might be living a good life and not sin very much uh, in terms of the horrible stuff, might stand before God and say, well, God, I've been a very good person. And he'll say, did you know my son? Did you respond recognising that you'd sinned and far from me? No, but I've done, you know, it's not about works. It's about Christ's death and resurrection and that through faith you can have a relationship with the one who's died and forgiven you. And that is what true life is about. That's where our life takes on meaning. We know God. He lives with us. He empowers us and he strengthens us. If you get this kind of thing, how could we ever be arrogant? How could we ever be anything but humble? And thankful that 
We're forgiven. Not because of what we've done, but through what Christ has done. How could we be arrogant? Second thing, how how could we be blasé? I mean, if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, just within me is an urgency to tell people. Not arrogantly, not poking them in the eye, telling them they're wrong, but showing them who Jesus is and why his claims are true and how they can be saved. The final thing tonight. This is the best news that can ever happen. And as we hold dearly to Jesus Christ and seek to live the rest of our lives for him, one day we will look him face to face And he'll say, welcome home. Not through what you've done, but through my saving grace. Through your trust in Jesus. Now that we know that, let's go out and humbly share this truth. Not arrogantly, but call people to the exclusive claims of Christ. Because under heaven and earth. There is no other way by which men and women can be saved. Let's pray. God, tonight we want to thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die. We're so aware that we're not good in and of our own selves. But tonight we're good because you've made us good through Jesus' death and resurrection. God, tonight, I pray for those that don't know you that have never made that step to put their trust and faith in you, Lord Jesus. God, those that are here tonight in that situation, I pray you would encourage them to seek you. Because we know that your word says, when you seek me, you will find me, when you search for me with all your heart. God, may these people seek you and find you. May tonight be that day when they put their trust in you. And God, for each of us, help us hold on to these exclusive truths and lovingly share them with a world that needs to know you, Lord Jesus. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.